You're listening to the Underscore Transformation Podcast, your practical guide to business transformation. Welcome to the Underscore Transformation Podcast. This is episode 13. My name is Joe Ailes. My name is Jason West. And together we're the founders of Underscore. So today I'm joined by Nick Ranier. Uh, Nick's a senior transformation leader with 25 years experience across the energy, defense, engineering, and distribution sectors. Uh, He was a member of the bunker team that set in motion the build of the UK's two new aircraft carriers, and he led the development and operation of an award-winning campus for a world-leading defense, security, and aerospace business. Nick and I actually previously worked together. Uh, Nick was heading up the corporate transformation portfolio office uh, and I was leading a a multi-year HR and business planning transformation program. Uh, It's a real pleasure to spend time again with you Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me Jason. Well thank you very much for for coming and agreeing to take part in uh, our podcast. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the scoping phase of business transformation. Um, But before we get into that it would be really great just to hear a bit about your background in your own words and uh, just where where you've touched on on transformation in the in the past 25 years yeah well i won't go back 25 years i think (laughs) that uh, could take the duration of the meeting but certainly to go back a few years really the background that the the basis for my interest and work in transformation comes from hr and being an hr manager and director um, initially for um, uh, in British Aerospace and then over to a company called Alstom on the transport system side. Yeah. And I think um, all the time as an HR director, you're looking at, of course, your capability baselines, your organisational baselines, your referentials, you're doing your governance across the organisation. There's always things to adjust. And as new leaders come and go, they always have new ideas. They always want to change things. So I think from very, very early on, I've been involved in um, transformation and change. And then as an HR director, uh, transitioning into uh, Talis, where we worked together for many years, uh, it was a genuine pleasure, Jason, I can say that officially <laughs> on record, um, genuinely was a good time, actually. Uh, I think uh, we were, um, you know, dynamic sort of growing, classically dynamic and growing, but that took a lot of effort and work. Yeah. Some of it was... Uh, a lot of it was organic. Some of it was uh, through uh, acquisition. And I think the organic stuff was really interesting about mm. how we built, uh, certainly on my side, maritime services. And again, international work, um, unifying management leadership teams, and then below that, uh, optimizing unifying structures, looking at the operating models. So all of that gave me an interest, really, uh, more in uh, programs and change management. I realized that was really what I wanted to do. Yeah. So from from there onto the carrier, you know, into a bunker, as you've described, <laughs> it literally was a little bit like that um, for uh, well, as we were going through the concept and development phase of that program. Then left that to set up the, uh, the, the, uh, the campus at Crawley mm-hmm. um, for a couple of years. And then from there um, into transformation. Um, with talent with talent at the corporate level looking after the portfolio yeah um and then from there it was a fantastic platform for working with a number of clients uh, in in multi-industries and that's what i've been doing ever since so yeah very interested to talk about this uh, topic with you from you know from my practical perspective yeah and uh, what was it like making that transition from kind of operational hr director to transformation lead I think that's a, a really great question because I think as an operational HR, you're in the function, leading a function normally that needs to change itself. 
So uh, whilst you've got a, um, a transformation oversight role, really you're more concerned about making sure your organisation balances its business continuity and delivery and service delivery with that of the transformation needs. Yeah. And so therefore, you know, within uh, as an operational HR leader or indeed any operational HR manager, you know, you're always going to be finding that balance. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in the uh, in the course of this uh, of this discussion. Um, and then, but switching to transformation, all of a sudden, you're the person having to offer that framework yeah. um, to the organization in which they manage that balance. And I think the other dimension that you need to, to, to really be aware of, of course, is the strategic one, the goals that you're trying to achieve. Yeah. Normally, from um, a multi-centric, as in multi-program perspective, not just the, the sing large single programs, but what all of the bits add up to, um, and then you know, making sure also in that agenda that you're keeping keeping a watchful eye on the culture and how that evolves and uh, and develops in line with what you want to do operationally and strategically. Yeah. So I think it's really it's all about sort of frameworks and the uh, and guidance and stakeholder leadership management and good and, and facilitating the governance. And then within the function, it's just about delivering and owning all of those uh, changes and benefits. Um, so one thing I'm particularly keen to understand uh, really is your your perspective coming at this more from the overarching portfolio level. Um, mm. So we've done a lot of work uh, at a program level and, and, and making significant change happen within individual functions. And the the, the scoping checklist that we, we created is very much written from that program perspective. The, the target audience are kind of HR finance procurement leaders that need to transform Form their functions. Um, but obviously, um, what we're not really covering in that is that portfolio view. So I'm, I'm kind of really keen to see where the, the similarities and the differences are. So mm. um, if, as we kind of delve into the checklist, um, we did start with what we thought was the most important thing, uh, which is sponsorship. So executive sponsorship of, of the change. Um, and we've seen lots of issues in sponsorship in various programs uh, but when it works it's fantastic it makes everybody's life easier Be but i was really keen to understand what what your perspectives were on on uh, sponsorship what makes an effective sponsor and what are the sorts of things that people should avoid yeah i think so sponsorship i mean they obviously own the business case and the key to the good sponsorship is that these individuals are available to the program yeah so i think uh, there are examples of their sponsors and you may see them at uh, state you know steering group meetings uh, and that's basically their intervention so i think what you want from a sponsor is that availability that ownership and also uh, they're prepared to actually go you know, to the level of the organization that requires some interrogation. So they kind of, if there are problems, issues, actually they take the time out just to dip into that occasionally. And this, the spark effect that has is remarkable. Yes. Yeah. So I think just sitting there in a steering, in a steering committee, receiving the reports, uh, casting judgments um, is okay. But the active sponsor is really what you're looking for, the active and engaged sponsor. And is there is there a difference when if somebody's sponsoring an overarching transformation portfolio, if they're the executive sponsor, which you would assume would almost certainly be the CEO, maybe mm. the COO in certain cases, but does that require different things at the portfolio level? It does. So 
each program will have its own steering group. Mm-hmm. It's the suggestion. It's you don't have to do it like this. You know, there are options. But normally within the program, you'd have uh, your own gates and your own process and your own steering group, which is fine. So if that if that's the major moving element in the organization at a given time, then that's absolutely fine. But I think normally within organization, so the company I'm currently with, um, an energy business, has, I think there's 700 programs operating wow. at the moment. Now, I'm not su- suggesting that any one person could understand the dependencies associated with that. But what I think that most uh, prudent businesses need to do as part of their governance is just on a piece of paper, and it can be done, is uh, plotting the value chain at, at, at one at, um, on the uh, horizontal. Mm-hmm. So just, and it could be simple. So it's just inbound logistics, operations, outbound logistics, services, and then uh, placing your uh, R&D, um, sales and marketing efforts and development efforts as well onto that plot line. Mm. And then draw the businesses down the vertical and just make a little note of where they're active on that on that value chain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and then you can see at a glance, for exa- so for example, HR normally are tinkering in, you know, tinkering with capability. Yeah. They're normally transforming themselves yes. yeah, uh, endlessly. Procurement will always be doing something around uh, key commodities, uh, you know, uh, sourcing from uh, uh, new products for new markets, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Uh, there'll be some, um, maybe some uh, uh, new concept work, new development work, new services development work, which is a hybrid between business as usual, but but there's a transformational element to it. Yeah. That is to say, the business in its current configuration with its current resources would not be able to deliver that change. So you need additional resources, additional effort, and it has all the components for a transformation of you know strategy, operating model, and culture. Um, if it if it's just a simple change, then I probably, uh, for simplicity, wouldn't necessarily track it at that level. But obviously, you have to track it at some level. Yes. Yeah. So I'm talking at you, but essentially, what I'm trying to uh, describe is a plan on a page. Yeah. Um, and you can give uh, some maturity to to those. So, for example, um, if you're doing work um, in product in production with the operating model, you know, you're introducing an ERP element mm-hmm. or a better or an, an, an improved material fr- flow element. Just mark that on the chain on the on the map. Uh, if that then extends into uh, distribution and then uh, into services, then continue to draw that line so you can see the extent, uh, uh, the operating model and uh, the business model extent of the of the changes, and you can see the significance of all of the, how all the changes work together. Yes, and then you get a sense of what's going on in the business, what the cadence of all that is, what it's all adding up to, um, and how your program fits into that context and what it's adding to those other programs as an enabler if that's if that's correct and what it's adding to the strategic vision so um what i've just described sounds really complicated but it's not once you've got that piece of paper you just need somebody a portfolio lead or or a responsible executive who has somebody that can do that work from a programmatic perspective yeah pulling that information together and having that discussion with the board on a regular basis, making sure that those strategic dependencies and uh, and that direction of travel is managed. Yes, yeah. So just having that real clarity of 
where we're going, where the value is in this business and, and what we're doing to improve it and how all the different moving parts do actually fit together. If they do, indeed. <laughs> if they do, Sometimes yeah. they conflict, of course. Yeah. You know, if you've got restructuring in one part of the business or you, you're needing to uh, to optimise certain aspects and, and then yet you're being expected to, to grow and develop services in certain markets, you know, there's always that... that uh, yeah, there's there's that debate. There's arbitration required, and that's really where um, you know the executive board and the CEO need to step back and, and decide what slows down, what speeds yes. up, and what drops off, and what comes in. And that should actually be a moving. You know, that actually should be a dynamic. Yeah. Um, if you're looking at the same thing month in, month out over a year, then probably you're not having the uh, the, the the right conversations. Yeah. So I, I guess one of the 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 challenges for for a sponsor at that portfolio level is it obviously it's the arbitration as you mentioned but if they get sucked into too much of the detail of individual programs they could end up stepping on the toes of the spon- executive sponsors of those programs and getting too much in the detail. And that's why you do want sometimes your sponsor, as senior as they are, to dip into their own program and mm. understand certain and relevant levels of detail. Yeah. You know, so I'm not uh, suggesting they sort out every conflict of priority and resource, but they do sort out where, for example, some businesses that are pilot organizations, for example, um, aren't ready or are not making progress towards readiness. So, you know, business readiness is a key component of all of this to make sure that they, they can uh, undertake what they're expected to do. And that should be facilitated by uh, by the sponsor. Normally, yeah. the program manager has seniority, has influence, but really the call needs to be made um, by the sponsor actually engaging with the pilot business and actually uh, facilitating them to, to allocate the necessary resources and effort to make it happen as it should. Yeah. Test, uh, test whatever's going on, you know, whatever you need to test in terms of uh, is it successful, does it need adjustment? Then you're ready for a, a larger and wider scale deployment. And at that point, the exec board would get involved, certainly. Yeah. Uh, that sort of, a, they, when you've got go multi-geography, multi-business line, they would just need to make sure, are we ready and what other things might that impact or affect in terms of our uh, the year uh, and you know for the business sales and uh, and financials and also the uh, the other transformation efforts yes yeah and all those uh yeah just the resource requirements of making all this change happen at once and making sure you don't you know damage business as usual as as you've got multiple programs trying to you know get get various new systems and processes live absolutely and the business rightly so should always there's a differing differing view about this, um, but my view is the uh, the uh, the business always has the priority. So if there's a critical business delivery, it always has priority over the change or transformation. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, not unusual to see steps taken to reverse that, but I think it has a detrimental effect. It creates almost disbenefits for the changes mm. that you're trying to uh, to create. It's uh, it it harms the branding of that. Of that development, that product, that introduction. Yes. So yeah. let the business has to make the call, but they they just need to have and articulate the right reasons for yeah. for any delays or changes or issues. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you 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 know sort of you touched on that real active sponsorship, and it's something we very much advocate, um, especially when when you're looking at well, what's the actual problem we're trying to fix with with this transformation? It's, Indeed, you know you you've got your exec sponsor, yeah. but do we agree that that this is a problem that's worth fixing, and how do we actually go about defining that problem? 
uh, before we rush into solution design. So I was kind of interested in your, your perspective on the sorts of approaches, tools that, that you've seen work around uh, that kind of problem definition space. So certainly it starts off with a sense that something's not great or not optimised. Um, and, and I think then all of a sudden people then start to dive into try and start to define that problem and lots of and I think that the team that does that work uh, I think the capability of that team so normally um, it's left to um, the with it so if there's a problem within a function if you know if procurement re, re, you know recognize they're not their, their bench, benchmarks and parametrics aren't what they should be or they or they feel they should be making a, a large a, a greater contribution to to working capital or to 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 to, uh, to the margin so they'll then start their investigation. But I'd say in terms of that phase, uh, the business analyst role, I think, is really key. I know mm. it seems like a strange thing to say, but there's lots of views that are circulating around about what the problem is. And very often those views are diluted by the lack of data yes. and information. So having fantastic BAs who are kind of engaged, fantastic at what they do, and who own uh, literally with the problem definition they're trying to resolve – and then constantly feed that information into a sponsor who then feeds it into colleagues and that then gets tested and adjusted. Yes. And um, whilst you do need speed, uh, it needs to be done, this phase certainly needs to be done properly because then everything builds on, on the back of what you think is is wrong and what needs to happen. Yeah. So it's just, like I say, my, my kind of learning has been is get the best business analysts you can on the job. Yeah, you don't need a lot of them. I'm not talking about you know armies of uh, business analysts, but just uh, based on the, the scope and the scale, the, the just resource it commensurately with great people. Yeah, yeah. certainly, really great business analysts are very hard to find. They They're are a, a rare commodity because they answer very precise questions normally. Yeah, and what you want is somebody who him, him or herself is challenging what you think the problem is. And taking potentially a, a quite a slightly different perspective on it, but with data, with information, yes, uh, with insight that's gathered from uh, from leaders and staff alike. Yeah, yeah. And that that piece on data and insights, and you mentioned benchmarking. Yeah. And have, have you have you found that's been useful as you've been defining problems? And and where where do you go for that sort of benchmarking data? Well, if you pitch up without the benchmark. You, you're gonna, you know, that you're gonna be sent away to, to <laughs> yeah. get some. That's what I think. You all know that from your own experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the, the benchmark data. I can't remember who you work with, but certainly Expert HR is somebody I've worked with. You know, in the old days, Saratoga was somebody. Yes. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's a, so there's a few. There are a few reference points uh, and, and benchmark providers out there. And those listening to this cast within their own functions or businesses will know for their industry or sector you know who who they are and yeah. i would definitely uh, suggest now you but stop short perhaps of using the consultants associated with that data you don't need to do that you just need to draw on the database yes hopefully yeah. there's no strings attached or tied <laughs> yes. to that because yeah. uh, you should be able to do it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The key thing is getting access to the data as you say. It really is and just you know if you're part of, um, very often you, you can do some peer work with people from other industries and sort of casually ask the question. But really, um, it's best to to use, uh, pay the money, just just get the uh, get the, the benchmarking insights uh, in 
compare and contrast that with uh, the current state yeah. and then come up with um, with a direction of travel and the gap and just assess the gap you're trying to close really. Yeah, it's, it, it tends to be essential to getting funding for the rest of the scoping project is actually being able to say, you know, we're, we're here against a, a global benchmark and if yeah. we got to, you know, we're at 25, 25th percentile now, if we got to average then there's X million on the table. Can we have a bit more cash to, yeah. <laughs> to kind of figure out the next stage? People shy away because normally you, you do the benchmarks. Yeah, it's sort of you know, FTE ratios of sort of yes. HR people to staff. And uh, I remember when we were starting to look at those in, in Talis, for example, they weren't they weren't great. They're significantly better now. They're yes, probably you know uh, up 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 with the best of them now. But at the time, and you think, do we really want to say this? Do we really yeah. want to say just what you know what we're running with uh, and what the best in class are running with in terms of uh, FTEs and or as a percent uh, the effort of the organisation as a percentage of sales or whatever it yeah. looks like. You have to sort of uh, gird your loins, if you don't mind me saying, it, and then yeah. just and just and just say it, just say it as it as it is. Yeah. And we're back to sponsorship. We are back to sponsorship. Have, yeah, having those hard conversations. With it people. is, and and they will shape then the case around that in yeah. a way that uh, makes most sense for uh, for consumption by the executives, uh, and then it gets gets into further shape, of course, for approvals. Um, yeah, but it just needs to go through that maturity. You know, doing the internal checks, getting a view on that. Comparing the benchmarks, getting a view on that, shaping the case of the gap and where you potentially would need to go, shaping that and then crystallizing it in a business case. Yes. So yeah. just dive straight to the business case, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, gather some evidence, understand gather where you carefully are. Carefully, and then socialize and check it at every stage. Yeah. Because so, going to the business case is normally just too big a surprise. For, yeah. for, for for the organization to 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 handle yeah. it's just like all of a sudden you appear out of nowhere and say well, we need five million <laughs> yes. over two years and it looks like this yeah and we think we're going to get these benefits and of course it's too much so yeah. just work you know just carry people with you as you go yes and one of the one of the areas that we find we get quite a lot of pushback um kind of to your point on that requirements gathering piece yeah. is where you've got a, a function and it, it doesn't matter if it's finance, IT, procurement, HR, that they all tend to be really quite resistant to engaging people outside of their function and engaging people close to the customer and and, and the, the, the revenue stream. Um, and, you know, our own perspective is if you don't, don't, you know, really engage that diverse group of people, you're not actually going to properly understand the problem you're trying to solve. And there could be some pretty serious gaps. But I don't know if you've found that in in kind of other other places, other programs, and, and what you might have done to overcome that sort of resistance. Well, I think the key, I mean, I, I'm, there's not necessarily, because really transformation and change is actually at its heart a reconfiguration of power, right? Mm, so therefore... Every time you have these conversations, the bulbs are flashing in somebody's yeah. head about what does it mean for me and my department and my team. So that's the first filter that you're getting. Yes. You know. So, and then the second filter that I find is is that people sometimes uh, who ask the questions are asking actually functional requirement questions, mm. and they're getting functional requirement answers. So the, the person will say. I don't care what you do, but it must print to that printer or something ridiculous yeah. like that, yeah. which is a functional requirement. But So what you're looking for is a business requirement. And if you have a business requirement, try and deal with the, the you know, uh, upfront with the power issues by the way that you present and introdu- introduce your session. Mm-hmm. It's to say this is very much an expiration. Nothing has been decided. Yes. 
we know that we've got these this problem in the organization i think we, we're seeing it very much as a collaborative effort to fix it etc etc so there's things that you can say just to soothe the brow yeah and then you start asking business questions and expecting business requirement answers and i think that's key if it's a new crm solution mm-hmm. then you're going to the way you articulate your growth plans and ambitions into which markets with which products and which services, and therefore the CRM solution needs to capture that, a certain pipeline in a certain way to give you this information so that it feeds this prospecting chain of events from you know uh, business uh, development through to marketing through to the sale. So I think that, that that's a very structured business conversation to have. Yeah. Um, what you don't want to do is 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 talk about the types of reports that they're going to get, the the colours of the pie charts and all this. Sort yes. of thing. But it can happen, and you yeah. see it all the time. There's sort of hundreds of uh, functional requirements, and then from the business requirement, that will then allow you to uh, to source ideally and hopefully something that if it's not out of the box something very relatively close mm. to it because as soon as you get into a high level of function requirements and 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 certain levels of detail all of a sudden you're into a customized product yes and then you're in a whole world of trouble regarding just getting a, a minimum minimum viable proposition out the door so yeah. just starting to work with something very quickly and then working in a, in a, whatever the agile sprints whatever you do to to then upgrade and evolve the product through phases and over time that's probably the way to go again yeah. based on what what value it's giving to the business in its current current configuration and what increased value you could get from further enhancements or changes based on that the business value question so uh, yeah we, we talk about it in terms of capability requirements so uh, i'm assuming this is analogous to, to yeah. you know sort of your, your your definition of business requirements in that a capability requirement can actually be a requirement for system functionality but it could equally be requirements around changes to the capability of people the the operating model it could be about process it could be about policy and actually structuring your requirements gathering sessions so you are capturing that broad sweep of 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 these are the capabilities we need to deliver to the customer whoever the customer might be indeed uh, yeah, and not inter- limiting yeah. it just to the technology functional requirements indeed yeah i i can understand I, so i can certainly understand that capability question and i think Especially when you've actually got, if you're in the human resource management and information space, there are, you know, there's limited options. There always have been. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, when I was at uh, DS Smith, they, they went through this process of, it, they were reconciling their global uh, headcount numbers, for example, using spreadsheets. It's, you know, yeah. but, but this is a company that's growing kind of 10, 15% a year. So it's like they're, they're a successful business. But sometimes, as we all know, the, the practices. So you have to talk about we need a capability yeah. that gives us a, a, um, a, uh, a consolidated report, you know, an automatically produced consolidated report from all of the regions. You know, and you have to sort of talk about some, some, of, those, some of those things. So whilst they obviously it doesn't directly align to a business to a um to a business strategy or or benefit obviously there is a there is benefit to the fact that you have that reporting available uh, and you can then leverage it for um, for whatever purposes you you wish to so um so yeah we, there was a lot of detail that was discussed 
but but then it got it did get a little bit over egged, frankly. Mm. Yeah, and I think that uh, there does come a point where you just need to you do draw your line. You get the the specialists in, and then you start to do your your contest as to to, to decide. Okay, so how, what solution then gives us those delivers those business requirements? Yes, organisationally and systemically. Yeah, uh, and then you kind of and then that's when you think you should start to uh, to get into that second level of detail and avoid yeah. it up front. Yeah, exactly. that's something that we found over the years is um, whenever you go out and you engage the business, you do get a huge amount of requirements, hundreds of requirements, because often it's the first time anybody's turned up and said, what do you think? What do you want? What do you need? And and you actually have too many. And if you if you were to accept them all, you'd end up with a program that would last years and years and years, and they last years anyway, but you know, yeah. tens of years. So we've we found that actually there's some really important decisions that you have to make during the scoping phase about what to accept in scope mm -hmm. and when you're going to accept it in. Is it phase one? Is it phase two? Is it phase three? And we'll get to this, I'm sure, in governance. But yeah. actually putting some real design rigor, some real thinking behind which one of these are we going to accept? And because not not every requirement is valid. It's uh, a former colleague described it as a, it's a penny in a slot. <laughs> so everyone's got a penny, and everyone has to have their their requirement. And yeah, they're not all valid, and they all feel obliged to spend their penny. Of course, <laughs> yes, because yeah. like, uh, you've got to. That they see that as uh, as an important uh, demonstration of their contribution of their commitment. So, yes, uh, yeah. So they make points for points' sake. Yeah. Sometimes that's I'm being slightly unfair there, but oh, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it happens. So I'm sure we'll revisit that. Um, now we're going to switch gears slightly, and um, we're going to talk about change um, because you know we, we've both held you know operational roles in the past, and there's been. Far too many occasions when you know the the first you hear about something is um, you you must turn up to mandatory training for this new system process. Mm -hmm. The the group of it's always group. It's always group's fault. <laughs> that's that's the first thing. Always group's fault. Um, and they, you know you 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 just as a as a lowly user or as a manager or a director in in a business unit somewhere you just get told you got to go to training. Um, so we 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 come with those scars on our backs and. The, the so you do work day, isn't it? Surely, <laughs> come on. A work day, yeah. <laughs> or any system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just got good news. We're rolling out tomorrow. Uh, you might get some training if you're lucky. Um, but what we found that doesn't actually work that well. Uh, the, the result tends to be you know, people don't adopt new systems or they do it grudgingly and badly and... You can you can end up with you know all sorts of policy breaches and just people ignoring stuff and lots of back office workarounds. So we, we've always advocated the, the you know really preparing for a change right up front. So assume that your transformation program is going to get approved, and you need to start some work on your change management before you actually start implementation as part of the scoping. Um, I don't, just kind of keen to get your perspective as somebody that's worked extensively in change. Mm -hmm. You know, is there? A, do you have a preferred approach? You know, where what what's the minimum requirement you'd see as as that kind of change readiness before you actually get to, you know, finally signing the business case off and getting yeah. started. Okay, I mean that's so broadly speaking. Without so you've you've listed in in, in your 
really insightful document actually that you've listed i mean loo in and uh yeah. you know sort of uh, unfreeze and refreeze uh so um you've got the three steps of loo in you've got kotu in there i yeah. think and you've talked about adcar as well yes you know, which yeah. is the pro side which is a commercial um solution that's very popular big in yeah. the u.s but they what they're all talking to though is is are these phases and, mm. and so at the highest level you've got you've got a, a, a design develop and deliver type technical process going on yeah and underneath that you need to complement and integrate into that and embrace adopt and sustain cycle yeah so if you look at so when you talk about embrace and, and on top while the development's going on that's when you really theoretically should be doing your first engagements sometimes there's sensitivity and transformation and change so you're you know you're designing a restructuring or an operating model and and obviously you're not going to be you're working with leadership but you're not necessarily working with a wider organization yeah because you're setting hairs running you know you there 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 changes and adjustments that will come and as i said it's a reconfiguration of power and indeed there there, there may be other consequences that we we all know know, know to, all too well about but let's imagine it's a um um, a, a, a development, a deployment of something like Cooper in procurement, which is a, a indirect materials, or it's Workday, or success factors, whatever it might be. So ideally, you would then, once you've got the business, so based on a successful sign-off of a business case yeah. and successful sign-off and approval of the resources and a plan, then you would start your early engagement. So you've already, so senior leaders and probably selected managers are already uh, aware of what's going on because they've been consulted and discussed and they're, they're engaged with. But in terms of the wider workforce, the impacted communities, we yeah. call it, you would then start, definitely need to start to to talk to them about uh, the direction of travel, uh, the timescales, the type of help and support they're going to need, they're going to get to to manage to, the, the transition. In parallel with that, and frankly, just before that, I always like to do a high-level change impact assessment as well. Yeah. So you look at across the uh, the impacted community, you see where the most impacts are going to be. You know, what capability is changing? What does the headcount profile look like in in different parts of the process? Are, are geographies involved? You know, are, do we need to consolidate activities? Uh, do we need to federate activities? Mm. So uh, all of that change impact that then blend you know moves into a change action plan. This is classic stuff, but important to do and often forgotten. Yeah. And then that and then you also uh, align to the change action plan. The comms plan will then be guided and influenced and informed by that change action plan. So whether there is sensitivity within certain communities, then you know you should be aware of that and and uh, uh doesn't shouldn't stop you doing anything you have yeah. to go in be transparent talk to them about changes what that means and how they'll be helped and supported through through that process yeah so you go for it so you're doing so you're doing your change management and then once you and then of course all of this is so it's based basically communication updates engagement updates taking managing frequently asked questions you know, the, all the mm. classic stuff and i think the bigger the change the bigger the story needs to be the more people that are impacted the more story you need yeah and less technical detail yeah uh, because you that's the only way you can touch hundreds sometimes thousands of people yeah so i think the the comms and having a fantastic comms person to help you with that as well again a bit like the business analyst this is another one of those roles where a great comms person will absolutely transform your uh, transformation yeah. and use the channels you know like so where i currently am uh, in shell they they like they use yammer a lot mm. uh and they use stream a lot so yammer is a uh, 
uh, is a social uh, network, yeah. internal social network. And, you know, you, you're encouraged to join. I mean, I'm a member. I've, I've only been there, what, f- four months. I'm a member of, I think, about 25. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, it really is. It's, it's a hard, it's a t- tricky thing to, to onboard, actually. Yeah. But that's the way they do it. And, and the Yammer channels are, are a major element of the communication. They yeah. also use Skype for business. So you can reach out to individuals, teams or groups on that and people are pinging you all the time. You know, So it's, it's just a way of working and all companies will be moving in this direction, particularly as the millennials you know, come into the workplace, take over more senior roles. You yeah. can see this kind of social, internal social engagement revolution going on quite rapidly now. I think the key thing there—it's—it's it, it's a conversation through what through whatever channel that you you know don't let geography get in the way of that conversation. That's the yeah. key. If the channel is if facilitating and helping out, fine. If it's not, then get get it done face to face as quickly yeah. as possible. Yeah, yeah. And it's that it's that true two way communication uh, rather than just emailing people or you know just pushing messages. Yeah. Again, large scale change. It's 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 tricky business, and that's why you need a great comms person who kind of gathers together the the the, uh, the themes. Uh, you know, grabs those themes uh, and provides responses to those themes, and makes sure actually the the uh, the, ch- the change community because that's their job. Whilst the technical community get on with the, with the product development and deployment, the change community it's their job to onboard all of these points that that, that are emerging from the impacted communities where possible, and actually addressing those points and concerns. Yeah. Then finally, you know, you go for that cycle. Then finally, you are into. Uh, Get, are you ready to uh, to onboard the changes? So we need to do some training, we need to do some uh, some piloting, we need to you know early adopters, whatever it looks like. All of that needs to be done. You need help people to help you through U, uh, uh, UAT, you know, the testing phase. Um, so all of those elements then need targeted comms while you're dealing with the the main impact community there's always a few within that impact community that need to be accelerated through because mm. they're the ones that do the testing that do the early adoption yeah that test out and check the solution for validity give the confirmations to the leaders who then give the affirmation that they're happy that this is the right thing for the business to do and that they will onboard it yeah um so that's a so you're doing that early engagement and all the rest of it with those uh, super user type and testing type communities you're getting leadership uh, affirmation on readiness and then you can start your uh, major uh, training and then follow through into uh, into the go live preparations go live cutover yeah and whatever you call hypercare you know so yes, uh, yeah. support hypercare yeah warranty or yeah, yeah whatever it looks like just to, and making making sure that's meaningful so change has a role sometimes it's kind mm. of steps back in the hypercare phase but that's actually the sustained element yes. is actually what it's all yeah. about so you should lean into that phase yeah I think that gives a, an excellent overview of all of the things that you really have to think about and plan for as you're scoping this out. This isn't something that just waits to the end when you have to train people. and It, it kind of really brings it to life. So thank you for that. No, it, it, and that's what I live. I live every day. In fact, just today I was disappointing some people with some training <laughs> that they hadn't heard about or realised. So it, we all get caught out uh, and all of a sudden we're, caught, we're doing exactly what I've just said. So <laughs> yeah. it, it happens and I took it, you know, and, and I'm reach, literally reaching out on Skype at the moment and, uh, uh, yeah, Pleading for uh, <laughs> apologies and, uh, yeah. and uh, frankly, recovering that situation, making them feel good about it. We've pushed back training back a couple of weeks. I've explained yeah. to uh, to sponsors and execs while we're doing it, mm. and we'll get it right for yes. them. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. We they need to be ready to hear it. 
if you know you've screwed up, don't don't carry on with the with the screw up. Just just stop. Take a breath. Yeah. It's okay. Ask for permission. Yeah. Um, and unless it's really desperate in that um, it's an event that that has to happen because of certain arrangements, then uh, take take that breath, take the time out, get it right, and then go again. You're listening to the Underscore Transformation Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Underscore, the transformation capability specialists. To find out more, visit underscore-group.com. Before we move off the kind of the broad topic of methodologies, I'm kind of keen to get your perspective on on this whole kind of project program portfolio methodology. Mm. It's something that we we focused on in, in the checklist because there's a real misunderstanding, I think, in a lot of functions in finance, HR procurement, um, less so in IT, because they're kind of really, you know, they've been leading these sorts of things for quite some time. Um, uh, We've got the change, though, still weak yeah. on the change, even in, yeah. great, oh, even yeah, in great companies, you know, the technical, uh, you know, the prototyping and technical development, fantastic, you know. Yeah. But the change management is still. Yeah, still weak. So it's this integrated nature of things. That's the key. Yes. Yeah. And we found just describing what what is a project, what's a program, and what's a portfolio, and the differences between those three things and how they actually all link up together um, has been a bit of an eye opener for, for quite a few people that have been actually sponsors for years on these things, but not really fully aware of exactly what it was they were sponsoring and what the different accountabilities were. Mm. I'm keen to keen to get your view, and you've shared it already on the IT side. You know, well, how how effective are functions in in kind of the actually employing these sorts of methodologies? And you know, if there's a gap, what could be done about it? Yeah, I think um, I think everybody would agree that functions generally um, will avoid any kind of tool or or framework that they'll basically rely on. Uh, a calendar and some basic Excel and, yeah. and just sort of go uh, marching off uh, uh, towards the light as they see it. The way that we provide an, uh, a framework to, to businesses is, is quite important. And normally within themselves, they're not going to do it. So mm. you actually have to be managing outside of the function that's undergoing the change or the business is going to change or the organization or the, or the, or the corporation that's, under, that's undergoing the change. Outside of it, I think that there is definitely a case for managing a light type of program management organization. If you're you're running multiple programs, as in you've got an SAP running, you've got an operating model change running, you've got a a, a sales transformation program running, um, some product development going on, some uh, uh, footprint consolidation, sites consolidation, all of these different, that's a portfolio where you've got these, uh, these very different things happening which is back to my original point of put them on a bit of paper so mm. you can understand that um that, that these two sites are cons- uh, one site's going to close another site's going to cons- consolidate so don't bother deploying an erp to it you know yeah. in in three years time because there's going to be nobody there yeah. so it's like these basic things sometimes get missed so that's the portfolio elements mm. then with each of those as i said for an erp uh, or um uh, or procurement uh, operation uh, program, the the program itself is is the um, is the sum of the different parts that would need to change within a function. So, if procurement are doing some capability changes, they're onboarding a uh, um, like I said, like Cooper, sort of an indirect yeah. sourcing tool or whatever it might, or an, or a component of an ERP, uh, SAP HANA, for example, on. Yeah. 
purchase to pay, those changes. So that would be the program and the projects are those individual work streams. Um, and what you would need is definitely is uh, some somebody just sat outside just doing a, a light version of program management. So mm. there's there's and there's there's more and more aversion to pro to to managing uh, programs. I have to say there's it's not it's not people aren't. Um, uh, welcoming uh, or onboarding uh, methodologies, they're actually res increasingly resisting methodologies. I think. Yeah. So I think so. It's got to be the lightest uh, form you can make it. So I'm 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 in, I'm MSP qualified and um, uh, management of portfolio qualified, but it's very rare, if ever, that I deploy a full MSP mm. suite. I mean, they do do it in defence in, uh, yes. in MOD. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> with the consequence effects that they're trying to manage a, an unmanageable baseline of things. Yeah. You know, uh, they've got all these schedules, you know, risk and dependencies, and the and the issues log and the actions log and and the schedule, and they've got all of these activities, you know, the resource profile, the work breakdown, the organisation breakdown, they're trying to manage this baseline of things. Can you imagine? Yeah. And just uh, just organisations are totally uh, resistant to that. So it's basically you need a schedule, you need some basic. Um, uh, management of uh, risks, issues, and dependencies. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's called a RAID, you know, risks, yeah. actions, issues, and dependencies, or sometimes it's risks, assumptions, issues, yeah. dependencies. The blend can change just depending on the, what the organization would like to focus on. But certainly running, uh, running having an idea of, uh, of, uh, of the schedule and reporting the schedule and the associated risks um, is, is, is still an important thing to do. How an organization uses that, how it's over, so for example, if you're going through um, uh, an HR uh, transformation, so they're doing a reorganization, onboarding a new uh, system uh, and doing some consolidation of uh, support services or you know, customer services, that management, as, as you know better than I do, uh, was done for all of those customer groups. Uh, yeah. and, and you just need a representative from the business working with you in the team normally on a shared job basis and they would then carry back the uh, the schedule messages the risk messages and manage yeah. the, the various things that need to be managed through communication and the natural uh, the natural uh, meeting cycle within the business yeah so you don't walk around with a schedule and sort of bashing people over the head with a rolled up piece of paper because you'll get short shrift on, yeah. on that I must admit, when I similarly did an MSP qualification, kind of went went through it, went, oh, I I've now got some language to explain everything that we've been doing for the past five years. This is kind of fascinating, but actually, if we did all of this, we'd need an army. Yeah, <laughs> we'd have to have an army of planners and schedulers, and we'd have to have project managers everywhere. And life just unfortunately isn't quite like that. Um, yeah. And, and you're, yeah, it's interesting. People are kind of resistant to it, but, but it resistant. has massive value. But if you tried to do it all, you, you yeah. If you if you're building a, a two billion pound aircraft carrier, I'm sure it's brilliant. But uh, it's it's a real challenge if you're transforming a function. It's, it's got to be appropriate, hasn't it? Absolutely, and of course, you know, the, when you, if it's um, if you're building a, a physical asset or a product, I mean, it lends itself much more to detailed planning. Yeah. Than than it would than than transformation and change because of the dynamic nature of what you're trying to change yes yeah Whereas once you've got your, your design your bill of materials uh your resource profile you know you know you, you could basically get on with that with that uh, with that production cut yes. steel and get on with it um but of course it's uh organization you're not cutting you know organization change doesn't start with cut steel does it it yeah. starts, it starts <laughs> with uh 
um, with a communication uh, with people about what's, what's changing and all of that emotion and feedback coming and yeah. dealing with all of that. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I do remember... Yeah. You know, talking to some some program managers in that defence space, explaining that you know our requirements are going to start off really small and they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as we go through the program. We're just going to uncover more stuff we don't understand yet, and we don't even know we don't know it. And kind of the the look of horror <laughs> on their faces. But you you have, you have a job. So the organisation has gone through the process we talked about earlier on and it's decided on a, on a case for change mm. and it's committed to that case for change and that process hopefully the people you're talking to would have been involved but I think a key service to them is what I call weak signals you know so I think within all of this panoply of um, of, uh, of tools and uh, and methods at the heart of it you you just need to, to make sure that that a weak signal of an issue, so there's a potential industrial relations issue there, or there might be um, a design problem there, or kind of, um, or, or our current infrastructure won't be able to support this. This in terms of the performance of the required performance of the system, whatever it looks like, there will be a point in time where an, an issue or a, or a risk emerges. And then it's the and, and then your uh, experience then comes to the fore is that you you start talking to your sponsors, stakeholders, uh, impacted communities about about that weak signal about how it could grow and less. Yes, and I think getting them engaged on on things that are, are not tomorrow, but uh, and I think having those conversations about the look ahead are really important. That's actually good good and sensible program planning. I think what's very frustrating for businesses is that despite all of this effort, they're constantly being surprised. Yeah. Things are constantly changing at the last minute. Things aren't declared until everybody knows that it's not the case anymore. So we're going to go live next week and everybody knows it's not going to happen. So um, what does the so what's planning all about then if you're yes. constantly disappointing us and telling us things that aren't don't seem to be the case? Yeah. So having those forward-looking conversations around very simple, uh, a very simple schedule, but talking to them about particular issues and points they need to be aware of in their area that if we can tackle them now, won't be an issue in three months' time, but they will be if we don't. So yeah, yeah. It is it is an interesting one because the balance between structure and plan versus creative problem solving is probably more towards the end of creative problem solving in a transformation. But if you don't have the schedule and plan and the structure, if you have none, then it, it, the, the problems are too big, too complex to, to actually... It's the balance of the solve it, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's the balance and not being uh, a, a project manager that's driving something because... The book says that it should be driven. Yeah, it, 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 that's 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 just not going to work. Yeah. yeah, it's that difference between project managers and program managers. And there, there's there, they are different breeds. One can become the other, but there, there's a fundamental difference between those. And there's a role two. for both. You know, there's yeah. an absolute role for both. Just assign the right right type of person to the right type of project or program. Yes, if it's a very crystal clear monocentric delivery what i call as in one thing with you know with no particular major influences that you can deliver um then a certain type of program manager will actually drive that and get that get that over the line uh project manager but but certainly where there are dimensions of culture and process change and strategy that that's uh, that's problem solving creativity and yeah. conversations all the time around uh around a, a schedule yeah and a huge amount of influencing and emotional intelligence and yeah, that, getting people to do stuff they don't actually really want to do. 
And I know there'll be people screaming at, at, the, uh, at the device you're listening to this on, saying, you need a schedule, it needs to be absolutely, you know, that's, that's the lifeblood of programs. And I, I couldn't disagree. Um, but, but so often they're not telling us exactly the, mm. what, what, uh, what is happening. Yeah. So as long as they're not so, not so sophisticated that we uh, were able to, to tell the right story at the right time, um, then that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, so have a schedule, but perhaps don't kind of over-engineer it and recognise that it has its limitations and there's, there's plenty yeah. of grey areas that you're going to need to be playing in yeah, to, yeah. to get it delivered. And the risk profile won't be able to swallow them all up yeah. either, you know. Yeah. So let's kind of, again, switch gears slightly and think about the end point. So mm. actually working with the, um, uh, with the senior leadership team of, of the function or, or, in fact, the enterprise at the portfolio level to really define, you know, what is our vision? What, what does that destination look like? How are we going to describe it? And what are those milestones along the way, those key objectives and then the design principles that are going to keep us on track and keep us on course. You know, what, what does kind of a good vision look like? And you know, where 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 have you seen things go off track if if vision objectives and design principles haven't haven't perhaps been thought about as as effectively as they could have been? So my preference really is to work with the strategy. I have to say, um, and I think so. The vision statement. Uh, is 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 a bold statement of intent. Yeah, but I think when you start to look at the strategy, as in we we you know we want to grow in the uh, um, you know in the South American market by ten percent uh, by in the next two years in in this product or service. Um, I mean, you might that that's a strategic objective, and I think you can start to and some of that will be delivered through business as usual and the and the elements and already when you're doing your strategic planning you can start to get a sense of what won't be delivered through business as usual and if it won't be delivered through business as usual then how do you bring that additional capability and resource to the business or um or that additional service uh, that it needs um so that so that would be step one so i think that Within the strategic planning process, I think there there should all, all, always be a review of what can be achieved, as, as I say, by existing resources and additional resources, mm. and then start to work through uh, that additional piece uh, as a potential change management plan. Yeah, I think uh, I I do take your point about alignment to um, to the vision, but it's just uh, when you've got these strategic objectives, at least normally there's an element of measurement associated with them. Yes, uh, and there certainly should be. <laughs> so you've at least got a reference point for your for the program that you. So you can actually say, uh, based on the current uh, glide path for sales, we're going to re- reach eighty percent of that target, um, and not you know um, in that market, and therefore. What does the other twenty percent look like? It's additional business development resource, or is it the fact that we haven't got the right products or services in there, or is it that we just, you know, the sales team isn't big enough, or it's having trouble engaging? It's not the right. Um, it's it's not uh, integrated, uh, not nationalised enough for that yeah. market. So whatever that looks like, you would need to introduce that as a as a change management, as a strategic change. Now the sum of all these bits. So procurement, we're doing the same thing, and finance and HR and operations, they'll all be doing the same thing. And I think those the gaps in terms of their strategic ambitions 
would then start to form the bedrock for your your, your mm. change management efforts. And that plan on a page. And you get your plan on a page. And then from that, you would then start, some things will already be in motion within the function, I guarantee it. Yeah. And you might, if, if they're making traction and progress, leave them, you know, then that's fine. But if they're, if they're kind of not making the progress, then probably needs to be, needs that, the, the structure, the framework I talked about. So step in, to lean into that, offer them the framework about how you start to really properly design out the changes they want to make, how you complement that with, with the change management uh, effort to, required to deliver that, uh, and then start that journey. And then before approval, just check it against the other things that are going on. Make sure there's no clashes of, uh, of, of, uh, of timing, cost, or dependencies. Yeah. So I think, um, and then all of these again, and then all the functions will have two or three year plans, hopefully baked into into budgets. And one elegant way to do it, and I think we saw this as well in uh, in, in Talis, and certainly I've saw it in in Alstom and other companies, is that you have this uh, this sun in the top right of a page, yes. which describes uh, what we're trying to achieve yeah, for that's the business, the look and yeah. feel the business. Yeah. There's your vision, and then and then there's another layer, a corona around yes. the sun, yeah. which has the metrics of contributing to that vision yeah. uh, by by function and then you have the kind of the the shafts of light emerging <laughs> yes, from it yeah, in different directions rays, yeah. and and within each shaft of light of a a, 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 um, a function is describing its journey uh, yeah. of its two or three year I mean, three years is getting a long time for transformation now. I mean, most companies have got the, the appetite for one or two years. Yes. So yeah. let's imagine it's a couple of years. Um, and uh, with some really with some strong benefits in year one as well. Yes. You know, and, yeah. uh, and and so those shafts like quite practical programs and projects. Mm. And you've got the corona, which is talking about making sure that the uh, all of that is the benefits are recognized and measured and, and tracked. And then all of that hopefully will add up to this glorious uh Brightly lit vision. Yes, yeah. And I have to remember what those charts are called. They have a name, don't they? Probably, it's <laughs> yeah. probably. I don't know. I, I just call them sunray charts. Yes, but, yeah. But, that's um, probably what they're called. <laughs> yeah. It's times like this when a picture would definitely uh, replace <laughs> a thousand of my words. <laughs> yes. But uh, but they're really useful. And again, yeah. such a good communication tool. Mm. Good for good for if you're able to share it because some of those elements, some elements on the chart are sensitive, and some elements are very much uh, within the domain and need to be managed and collaborated and delivered in that way but it does help and inform how you should how you definitely need to you know the messages the coherence of the messages across the business yeah so they don't want 15 different uh, messages of each of these sunrays they want the combined message of yes. what, what's happening around the business and then impact to communities then obviously within each of those uh, rays of light would, would then need to be worked with um uh, as as a pro, as we've just described in yeah. this session. So you you've set your vision. You've got your nice sunray chart. And whatever you're clear it looks about, like, yeah, yeah whatever what, it looks like. Yeah, you know where you're going and what the plan is to get there yeah. at that kind of high level. And which sponsor sits on which sunray? What yeah. resources are allocated? Yeah, um, what they're heading towards? The things they need to be aware of. Colleagues they need to make sure they keep in touch with, contact with to to manage dependencies. Uh, you've got a portfolio managing the whole. You've got program managers managing the parts. Yeah. And you've got project managers managing the the, the individual deliverables. Yeah. So it's something you know. Transformation and change can be something of an industry, and it's just the the, the care is required to make sure it's not overcomplicated. People aren't overburdened, however, and that the the cadence of all of this is is is, is such that the business can onboard what is coming towards them. Yeah.
Yeah, and that, that brings us neatly on to how you structure your decision-making around all of that. How do you govern that, that complexity, that industry of change that's going on? So, yeah, so back to my point about strategic objectives. So every business um, is already running some kind of, um, uh, not just business, I'm not just talking about commercials, mm. about government as well, but they're all, they all should be running governance bodies. So there will be governance bodies that are looking at enterprise risk. Yeah. There will be governance bodies that are looking at the uh, organisational design, roles and responsibilities of directors, the various committees that are operating will have mandates. Yeah. Um, so they need to be like, so all, there will be governance bodies, governance sitting on these and they, they should be. So I'll come to the point in a minute. Then there's in terms of people, there's performance and reward. You know, there's the, the, the compensation committees. And yes. Things. And then lastly, of course, there's policies, procedures and processes that are run uh, within maybe the quality team, but not, not only. And they're making sure there's good governance uh, and process around the way that policies and processes change and adjust. So that's business as usual. Then mm. all of a sudden, you're adding into that mix all of this transformation governance. Yeah. My advice always is, is to, to back to your plan on the page regarding uh, what's changing in the business. There's, a, there's obviously a plan on the page for what's happening uh, as business as usual. And then sitting above the two parts, there should be all of those committees should be discussing at the same time. So within risk committee, should be discussing the the, the daily business risks of, mm. the, you know, of the way that the, the operation is running. But also they should be discussing the transformation risks yeah. within people and uh, organisation, within, uh, within the process and policy uh, committees and whatever those structures look like that review and, and do the oversight they should integrate as much as possible the transformation efforts mm. into uh, that, that coherently into that into the discussion. Yes. So they sit and integrate with. So I'm being idealistic there because I know obviously not all companies and some of your sort of uh, SME and smaller business customers will be saying, "Come on, get, get real. Do you think we need to do all that for a <laughs> yeah. living?" But what I would say to the, to them is. You will be looking at all those parts at some point of uh, of the of your governance and management cycle, and in that same meeting, in that same forum, ideally you would introduce as well the notion that there are things are changing, yeah. and what are the impacts on the things that you're discussing as part of your uh, business as usual. So you may do them all you know, once a month in the in the management committee. You may do all of those things once a month in twenty minutes at the end of a meeting. Yeah, uh, but you should also have twenty minutes at the end of that meeting, which talks about the transfer and then and then uh, the uh, the meaningful impacts and, and effects on continuity and also um, future plans and changes it's a, it's a fascinating idea actually because in a, in a world where everything is changing at yeah, a faster the rate then how can you not integrate these the you know these transformation governance into your just business as usual you know it does business as usual exist really anymore? well so business as usual is is just as long as you understand the scope of business as usual includes business that um, that will change. Yeah. So as long as you've got that in your head that your your oversight is over the whole effort of the business in that the things that where the, those efforts that people are trying to to make changes within, and also the things that we're just trying to deliver on a daily basis. Yeah. So I, ju I it just makes practical sense because we're so overloaded and overburdened. It just and transformation generally speaking. We always complain about it. It just doesn't, you know, you're saying, have they made that decision yet? No, it's the next, hopefully the next steer co and you wait another two, three, four weeks. And, you know, it can be frustrating. 
But as soon as you use the natural cycle of the business and yeah. you carve out some time and you've got actually got leaders that uh, that understand that they need to protect time for the for these subjects and discussions, you've got a, a chance of a coherent decision being taken. Yeah. Um, or you can run it on its own in a dark corner, of course, you know, with <laughs> yeah. your sponsor, you know, which is, you know, which happens. And, yes, and yeah. you make progress in that way. Yeah. There are consequences to that. Yes. Um, yeah. Normally, just before, uh, just before go live, we <laughs> yeah. get a surprise. So, I just think that uh, certainly, as you move uh, into towards readiness, you should start to integrate the conversation. Yeah, certainly at that point, if not before. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I think that's uh, that's going to be a topic. I offer it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, again, there'll be people screaming now. So yeah. <laughs> you get real, but that you know, I mean, I think it's always important to say, you know, what what in this complicated world with this fourth industrial age up, yes. uh, upon us uh, where where we used to where in the third age we were kind of looking at within our everything was connected within ourselves now everything is connected beyond ourselves yes so all of those influences tipping into the business uh, yeah customers able to engage directly with the business change requirements in, in a heartbeat yeah um so you've just got to work with the cadence of the natural cadence of the business on, yeah. on an increasing basis or yeah. suffer the consequences of uh, of a flawed um, uh, deployment. Yeah. yeah. Sanitary tail for us yeah. all. Yeah. And um, so the, the, the governance is going to be there making a, a set of decisions on things, products, solutions that the, the programs are kind of putting up for, for review and approval. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're not pushing all of that stuff up to the executive steering committee. Otherwise, it probably is going to take you some time to get anything delivered. No, absolutely. But the, the actual uh, process, the capability to design solutions is something that often ends up falling to really good operational managers. So when you go into these transformation programs, you, you often you're setting up process ownership for the first time and introducing that as a concept. Hopefully not. Hopefully you know, that does exist. But generally, you, certainly what we found is that one of the biggest challenges is that you need to take people who are excellent at executing operationally and then having to get them to change their mindset to architecting, to designing, to thinking a bit like a system engineer about, you know, I'm going to change this one thing over there and it's going to have mm. this ripple effect and really working through the consequences of that. Um, and it, it's something that we've, we've found is a significant risk to, to a lot of programs is that the, the key people that need to make those decisions are actually not all that well placed because they don't have the experience, the knowledge or the skills to do it. So if you were to have a magic wand and we could kind of sheep dip people through mm. this kind of this, this uh, you know, development program or this training or whatever it's going to be, what are those kind of core things you would, you would hope that your, your process owners, your, your design leads would have? And yeah, what, what, what can we do as, an, as, as a, a you know, transformation practitioners to make our own lives easier, but to make the transformations that we run more successful? So again, I, I've come to the bitter conclusion that um, the internal subject matter experts, for want of a better term, because these are the people that you're turning to, invariably don't have, uh, unless they're released, which which can happen, just simply don't have the, the time or the yeah. energy or the behavior to work with you uh, in an appropriate way. So I think 
again, we're, we're back to, uh, to transformation and, uh, and rolling capability. And I've talked about like the business analysts, like the comps, but you know, there are just a few people that once they appear, everything changes. It's, yeah. it's really, it's, it's dramatic. And I think the same applies to the functional consultant type role. Mm. Uh, and I think that um, if you're uh, working with um, some production people and trying to figure out what the uh, what an ERP, uh, Oracle, SOP, whatever it did, you know, would need to do, um, I think that it's you. I think having a great functional consultant do knowledge transfer is yeah. often it's more expensive, but it's quicker. And it's more effective and they ask the right questions and they know what information has been gathered and is it sufficient and what needs to be gathered and uh, and what the quality of that is they just have this sense so i i, I feel i it's a, it's a tricky one and i've seen both sides but certainly the uh, the sap uh, sap exercise that i saw for example the ds smith they 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 um, provided functional consultants into the finance area to to really understand what was going on in some of these sort of purchase to pay quote to cash type sale to sale to quote or or, mm. or sale to cash whatever it looks like type processes and i think having a, a functional consultant working with smes within the business extracting knowledge yeah and then extrapolating uh, the ideas and and not get. I think it's the blank paper that gives the uh, the the internals the problem. And I yeah. think giving having a functional consultant, giving them some ideas on on where their future future of that process or or could go or could lie is really important. And then then translating that into um, obviously functional requirements, then translate translating that into a, a specification. I think. Is a process best led by by people who do that? Yeah, I, I think to save money, very often we do try and, and work uh, with the internal resource, and and some of them actually are surprisingly good at turning their hands to that. Mm. Actually, invariably within two or three years, you find them actually doing that job somewhere yeah. else. Actually, yes, they yeah. like it. So, you know, they just yeah, they've they, left and become yeah, a they've left and become somewhere a else. Yeah. Yeah, you earn how much? What do you do? <laughs> yeah. so, so, yes, that so, is the risk. <laughs> so slightly off piste here, so uh, but I just think that that's uh, that's that's a smart way to go. Yeah, uh, and it's an efficient way to go. And uh, and if you're scheduling, uh, if you're sh- you know, conscious of the schedule, that will get you a result because they will do the work in in the in prescribed time. Yeah, um, it's not nine to five. You know, they'll be in early, they'll be out late, and they'll and they'll work with the SMA during the day, and they'll then. To turn that into whatever it needs to turn into and they'll do a great job of that yeah so um, actually make yeah. sure in your business case you have enough backfill for those sme roles so they can spend time on this That's but true. also line them up with functional consultants that really understand what's happening out in the in the wider market what technology can do and they bring that external challenge and they they can challenge constructively yeah, so I think I mean generally, I mean I don't know what your experience has been, but uh, for certain phases of the project, you know, you're looking for them to be virtually available for two or three days a week, you know, mm. at certain phases, and then and then uh, and then obviously they they drop off while there's some uh, designing and going on, and testing reappear comes, yes. and all of a sudden they're five days a week on that. So so I think they do drop in and drop out the profile, but but yeah. but as they go through these SMEs, they they start off with functional consultants and they work with um, you know with the test managers and and and, uh, and specialists and then they work with 
um, you know, the uh, sort of go live preparation. So I think just assigning people to them to work with them to to guide and help them through, not just from a technical perspective, but also making sure that any change management messages are coming out as well. Any insights on changes to working practices, uh, policies, all of that stuff is also extracted from those individuals and, and tested as well with leadership, of course. Yeah. So I think it's a case of of working with them and taking as much as you can from them, um, yes. because they will give you something, but. It's it, I think knowledgeable people will be able to extract from them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something that's quite that we're we're seeing quite a lot with. It's more in the HR space than it is in the finance and procurement space because the the HR's been um, perhaps more on the the kind of the, the cloud journey longer than than certainly finance procurement actually. Yeah. you know they're, they're they're not that far behind on on HR. Um, for certain areas, um, but where you move to these cloud products, it, it's not like the old days where you'd spend two, three years implementing SAP or Oracle, and then it would stay the same for the next ten years. It's like these things update every six months, and you never go live with the full range of functionality that that you've bought on on day one. So there's always a roadmap, and. The organizations that have been successful have bought this functional consultant, this this solution design mindset and capability within their function, and they drive that roadmap and and they continue to develop and evolve and and grow and and transform. Um, The ones that struggle are the ones that were perhaps too reliant on on external consultants or didn't release people and they didn't build the capability internally. And they're they're the ones that kind of get stuck. Um, They tend to be afraid of the product that they've bought. They've, They've had consultants come in, change has happened, they've got a new operating model, they've got new processes, they've got a new system. But it doesn't quite work as they expect it to or want it to or need it to. But they're lacking the tools and the levers to pull and the the skills to, mm. to make the change happen. So it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're sadly seeing this more and more. Um, and I think the more we can do as, as transformation practitioners to bring that capability into these program teams right at the start of, you know, actually start building it in scoping, then the more likelihood is that that transformation will stick. And it's, there's no easy answer to it. We haven't got a solution just yet. You know, we're working on it. Um, yeah, there's a definite need from what we're, we're seeing out in the market. Um, yeah, it's, a, I, it's an interesting uh, sort of insight you provide there. And I think as well, because regions doing the, the process with the same outcome, obviously within, there'll be, cultural and sort of practice differences within regions as well so i think having somebody that sat with you at the center is also knowledgeable enough to know what's going on uh in in, in other in other places yeah. as well and actually so it's not just their local experiences about what they know of the wider business so I yeah think these are quite special and um and rare people yes yeah and uh, yeah that's a good point you know uh, for the large businesses uh you have to have your global process owners, but they need to be supported by country process owners or regional process owners. And that structure is something we actually did in Talis, funnily enough. Yeah. But uh, yeah, getting that embedded and and making sure that's an enduring facet of the, the function that you've transformed is is critical to the ongoing success of whatever benefits you've you've managed to to achieve. Uh, because it's too easy for stuff to degrade. 
you know, the program team goes on to their next next client or clients, and things kind of slowly drift apart if uh, if you've not really cemented that capability within the client. Yes, it's an interesting one. It's a, yeah. a thorny problem, but uh, yeah, we, we keep trying on that front. So the final point now is is really business case. So you've done all of this work. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've, yeah. you've spent the past three, six, nine months, maybe longer, um, you know, really scoping out this transformation. You've engaged the business. You've got your your, your sunray chart. You've got your vision. You're really <laughs> clear on your governance. You, you've got enough of a plan together that it kind of hangs together and and now you need to present a business case to 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 the board and and ask them for uh, a, a you know a, a large number with uh, many zeros in it yeah. so yeah what, what what are the what are the mistakes you can make with a with with that kind of final presentation of a, of a business case uh so, so the business case itself the structure i think Companies uh, and organisations, government departments, etc., are, are really good at producing business cases. I think they they do it a lot, and mm. they and they are very complete documents. I think the main issue uh, really is of the business, the benefits that are stated in the business case, is how are we genuinely going to track those those benefits? Uh, so, for example, if if you are going to um, uh, generate savings. How? What's the methodology to track savings in through the P and L into the P and L? Yeah. So you can actually identify that those savings, and actually that's that's the industry that you need to engage in. So I think my reflections on the business case, um, as long as they're rounded uh, documents that do describe um, that the the, uh, the the scope very clearly, articulate back to your point about what am I in charge of here? What am I responsible for here uh, here for? So that as long as that's articulated very clearly, and then below that scope, obviously there's a, 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 a there's a work breakdown that's associated with uh, with costs and a profile. There's risks associated with that, um, and even current issues. So all of those should be articulated in the business case. But again, you're starting to get into several pages now, and, mm. and people you're meant to be able to read this thing and understand it and onboard the messages it's giving you and, and make approvals appropriately. So what I'd say is whatever the culture of the business case is, then let it be so, as long as it has those key elements. But I think what's often missed is the way that benefits associated with that business case are tracked. Yeah. And I think it's probably the weakest part of uh, transformation change management is, is that is that part of the of the process. Yeah. So when we were in Talis, for example, we we were, um, um, we were trying to track savings uh, in the P&L. We were actually targeting. But we started that... Um, halfway through the journey rather than having clear rules from the outset yeah. clear methods and outset so there are a number of methods and ways of people who thought they were identifying savings that we were making uh, in the P&L they were discredited or distributed and you know it became and it became a real industry to do yes. that yeah. so I think so uh, it's probably not what you're looking for, Jason. I apologise, but I think my own. So my only reflection on the business case is they're normally pretty good, mm. um, um, and uh, as long as the, uh, the the scope is clear, you've got the you understand who the sponsor is. That ind- individual understands intimately what he or she is expected to do. The resources they have at their control. The period of the business case is baked into budget. So if it's one, two, even three years, those figures are baked into budgets. Yes, they do need annual review, of course. And then, uh, but as I said, it's really the definition of the benefits and how they're tracked 
not you know, not after one or two years, but um, within 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 sort of months, within sort of three to six months maximum, you then start to say, right, we're not expecting the benefits, but we are expecting to understand how you're going to identify and, and track them, and then and see that progress. So that's kind of the thing that often gets missed is the business case is then filed away. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, locked you know, in a drawer. Costs, <laughs> yeah. costs move away, um, timescales move away for all the good reasons that we've just talked about. Yeah. And people, you know, kind of trying to shuffle away from the benefits because, you know, they, in some cases they can be embarrassing. Yes, know? yeah. So it's – so. Good transformation will won't allow you to do that. It will, uh, it will, if necessary, it will re- transparently rebaseline the program, revisit the benefits, and, and make associated decisions on that basis. Well, funnily enough, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing the uh, the next checklist, which is on the build phase, and, and one of the points that I've made on that is that you know you 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 don't just take your business case and put it in a drawer. But there are, you know, that's one mistake. Another mistake is you just extract the costs from it and and you just kind of forget about the rest and you you turn turn your yeah. costs into into your program budget and off you go but yeah if you if you don't really pull those benefits out and um give, give, you know put out you know put accountable people in place to say okay you're the person that's going to deliver these things uh, you know make it happen that's going to feed your design uh you know the, the, it just doesn't happen otherwise you know you you've got to make individuals accountable for the individual benefits in your business case Whereas projects I'm on, I'm, I'm looking after now at the moment. People are saying to me, well, "Where's the original business?" Yeah, the classic yeah. cry. Where is the business case? And you, and you say, well, and, I, and, I, and nine times out of ten, I'm saying, well, "I haven't seen it." Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it's um, it's not criticism. It's just what happens. It goes into the finance department. They rip off the uh, finance annex. Uh, yeah. You know, transfer. Get, make sure the annex is uh, the uh, the the. Uh, the, the the spreadsheet is translated into whatever software that they need to tr- translate it into, um, and then the rest of it, uh, as I say, is um, is becomes a, a legacy and archive document. It's, yeah. and it should be very much a live product. Yeah, and actually, the business case should become um, uh, some kind of program management document. Yeah, so everything that's in the business case should be embodied in a, in some kind of program man- management document that describes. Uh, for the sponsor and for anybody that joins the program, what the program is trying to achieve, how it's going to do it, what their role in that is, etc. All nice yeah. to say. Yeah. When it's done, and I do it, I've done it uh, here, for example. Um, it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile doing. Yeah. Um, but you do get when you do ask some questions about the original business case two years down the road, say, "So, what about that?" So, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's a bit of a dismissive laugh, which is a shame, yes. isn't it? So yeah. it says it all uh, about sometimes uh, where transformation can lead you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, no, no wonder there is a degree of cynicism. Yeah, yeah, these rightly things. so, rightly yeah. so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been a, a fascinating. What I've just looked at the one I want to share. It's an hour and a half we've been talking. Um, so, but you know, uh, thank you again for all of the insight and uh, you know the the experience that you bring. And uh, you know, there's a, a lot of kind of really interesting new stuff in there as well. And I have to find somebody that's going to violently disagree on one of these things. I think that's the thing. We've, we've been far too. You know, we've agreed with each other far too much. I'm sure, but uh, you know, 
it turns out there's probably uh, there, there's probably some truth in in, in that sort of way. Uh, thanks for that, Nick. It's Thank been you. fascinating. It's been a pleasure. Could have been too bad. Sandman's still awake. So yeah. <laughs> 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 this podcast was brought to you by Underscore, the transformation capability specialists. To find out more, visit underscore-group.com. You can subscribe to the feed via your favorite podcasting app. You can contribute to the conversation via our WhatsApp group. And if you would like to feature in a future recording, contact us on social media to find out more.